Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practicology Podcast. So good to have you with us. This is episode 118, and back in episode 116, Mike took us to 1 John chapter 5, the first five verses, to show us that sin is never private. All of our sin, even the sins we commit without anyone else seeing us, they do affect the people around us. And realizing how my sins affect others, that can be like the first step in helping us to start experiencing victory over it. But of course, just knowing the sinfulness of our sin isn't enough on its own to deliver us. So Mike, how else can this section of 1 John chapter 5 help us in our battle against sin? Well, I see at least two more ways that these verses can help us. Let me start this way, though. Uh, The culture we live in likes to talk back to the Bible about what the Bible says about our sinful desires. So our culture argues back against the Bible and, and says to it, what you call sinful desires in us. Well, actually, they're private, they're liberating, and they're inevitable. And we looked at that first one already. Remember in 1 John 5, 2, John says, how do you know if you love God's children? In other words, how do you know that you love other Christians? Well, by this, if you love God and keep his commandments. So if you disobey God's commandments, you're not loving other people. Sin is never private. And we saw that the flip side of that is incredibly inspiring. If you do keep God's commandments and seek by his help to obey him, you're actually loving other people too. And we gave an example of what that would look like. Uh, An individual man who gets a grip on his inner sexual temptations, he will end up sparing dozens and maybe hundreds of people from grief. And thus he loves others by obeying God's commandments. And Mike, I think you put it this way last time and it's worth repeating. If you want to do a world of good, love God more than anything else in the world. You can do a world of good just by cultivating personal holiness in your life. So no modern culture, sin is never private. But what about the second thing our culture thinks about sin? You said that they say sin is liberating. Follow your sinful desires, give expression to them. This is the way to become true to yourself. It's freeing, it's liberating, they say. Yeah, I never stop being amazed at how relevant the Bible is as it speaks to us today. John was ready for what we'd be facing in 2023. He was ready 2,000 years ago with the answer. And so after explaining that we love others by loving God and keeping his word, John says in verse 3, his commandments are not burdensome. God's commandments are not burdensome. You, You love God and other people by keeping God's commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not make work projects like I used to come up with sometimes for our summer students if they were too enterprising and got through the legitimate work too quickly. God's commandments are not busy work, you know, just to keep us occupied and busy with something. And they're not oppressive. When we truly obey his commandments, we don't feel oppressed or repressed. We feel free. And I guess this explains why we see believers in the Old Testament take such a positive view of God's commandments. I'm thinking of the psalmist in Psalm 119. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. That's verses 47 and 48. And a little bit later, uh, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Yeah, there's a commandment in Exodus 22, 26 and following, for example, where God says this. He says, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, 
for I am compassionate. So your neighbor promises you something, you know, if you're an ancient Israelite and your neighbor promises you something and leaves you his coat as a pledge that he'll come through on his word, but you notice that the sun is starting to go down and it's starting to get chilly and neighbor hasn't fulfilled his promise yet, well, God wants you to think, hmm, how will that poor man keep warm tonight? I better bring it back to him, even though he hasn't kept his promise yet. So you head over to his house and you say, look, uh, just keep this cloak of yours for the night, okay? I, I want you to be warm. And his eyes fill up with tears at the grace and kindness you've shown him, which makes him want to keep his end of the bargain to you even more. And he says, I'll get that thing to you first thing in the morning, okay? And you walk back to your house feeling what? Oppressed? Of course not. You're going home saying to yourself, man, I was made for that. God put me on earth to be that kind of person. You're filled with this wonderful sense that showing that kind of understanding and care was actually what you were made for, what you were put on this earth for, because you were made in the image of God to reflect his character in this world. And he is gracious and understanding to those who are in need. So in other words, obeying God's commandments are not, it's not burdensome. It's not oppressive. It's actually liberating. It frees us to be the noble, dignified people God made us to be. We become godly or godlike when we walk in his ways. Well, that's a great example, Mike. It is from Old Testament law, though, and I know that you know we who have trusted in Christ are not under the Old Covenant today. But while we may not be responsible to adhere to all the Old Testament commandments anymore, your point is that Christ in the New Testament does give commands to his people as well, right? And these commandments are not burdensome. Yeah, that's right. So again, for example, uh, the Old Testament commandments about adultery and fornication are picked up in the New Testament and reiterated for Christ's people today. In fact, you could argue that God's eternal intent that sex be preserved and limited to one man and one woman in marriage relationship to each other is stated and upheld more clearly and forcefully in the New Testament than ever it was in the Old Testament. And Jesus tells us we're not even to look at a woman with lustful intent, because when we do, we've committed adultery with her in our hearts. Yeah, it's interesting because when you were talking about that Old Testament commandment about bringing the poor man's coat back to him before sundown, I'm guessing that many in our culture today would be really attracted to that law. That sounds positive. We're, we're drawn to a God who would care so much about the poor and disadvantaged. And of course, the New Testament commands us to love our neighbor and to care for the poor as well. And our contemporary culture will really latch on to that too. But when you mention that the New Testament upholds and even gets more strict about human sexuality, Western people are likely to be offended. And in light of that, many are going to have a hard time accepting 1 John 5 verse 3 that God's commandments are not burdensome. They'll say maybe his words about not judging people and about loving the poor and welcoming the stranger, those aren't burdensome, but his commandments about reserving sex for marriage between one man and one woman, that's way too restricting. That's, that's not natural. Yeah, big time. I saw a really short clip of a discussion recently where a man was insisting he wasn't built for monogamy. He couldn't settle down with just one woman for life. It would be too difficult. It, would be, it wouldn't be true to who he was, I think he said. And so here's a good opportunity to just quickly clarify something. When John says that God's commandments are not burdensome, he's not saying they're always easy. We know from the rest of the New Testament that walking in God's ways takes effort on our part. It takes a fight. And ultimately, we can't do it at all. But by 
the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's not that obedience is always easy, but John does say obedience is not burdensome. So on that little discussion I saw online, there was a woman there. I'm pretty sure she must have been a Christian woman. And she was at the table there and she was really pushing back hard on this man, telling him he was wrong. <laughs> Imagine that saying, you're wrong. I, I don't believe you. I believe you can commit to one woman for life. And I believe that deep down inside, that's actually what you truly want, that, that you would be your true self when you did that. So yeah, again, confronting this issue on our sexual desires head on and confronting our temptations to get hopelessly in over our heads in pornography like we mentioned back there in episode 116 let's let's see if we can that god's commandments are not burdensome in in 116 we saw obeying them is loving it has a loving helpful impact on others and now what we're seeing is obeying them is desirable it's liberating it's freeing. So here's a Christian man and he's heading away on a business trip. And it used to be that when he left home on business, he would open up his heart to start thinking about what freedoms, so-called, he could enjoy with no one around to check up on him. And by the time he got to his hotel room, he would inevitably succumb to the temptation to watch the raciest stuff he could find late into the night and so on. And as the business trip goes on, the man would descend deeper and deeper into sin, and when it was time for him to finally come home, he would do so with a lot of shame and guilt inside. But now, I mean, that was then. Now, when this man travels, things are different. Before he leaves for his trip, he asks a buddy to pray for him, to be pure and faithful. And as soon as he gets to his hotel room, he chucks the remote into a drawer where it'll be out of sight and out of mind. And he gets down on his knees, and prays that the Lord would strengthen him during his time away to be faithful. And while he's there, he enjoys himself. He enjoys the good things that travel offers, you know, some nice meals, some beautiful walks. And instead of wasting his free time looking at trash online or on the TV, he FaceTimes his family. He makes a point of having communion time with God each day. And he goes off and does some shopping so that he can have some nice presents to bring home to his wife and kids. And as he travels home to be with his family again, he feels content and joyful. He knows he has acted honorably and faithfully both to his Lord and to his wife and children. Far from feeling inhibited and restricted, he actually feels wondrously free. And so what I'm wanting us to see is that this is the kind of life that is desirable. Obedience is something we want to want. Last episode, we saw that our private obedience is good for others, but when John says that God's commandments are not burdensome, he's showing us that our obedience is also good for us, for ourselves personally. Yeah, and I think as you give that example, Mike, there's something inside of us that concurs with that. It really resonates deep down. This is the kind of person I want to be because it's the kind of person God made me to be. We would like to have the freedom to be able to see an attractive person, for example, and just be happy for them and respect them instead of envying them or coveting them. We want the freedom to meet up with our friends without having to shove down thoughts about the shameful stuff that we were looking at while we were alone just before we, we met with our friends. Sin degrades us, it defiles us, it dehumanizes us, it makes us feel dirty and ashamed. It promises excitement and satisfaction, but 15 minutes later, it leaves us feeling cheap and pathetic. 
Yeah, Matthew, one of my favorite scenes in um, all that I've read of, of C.S. Lewis is in the book, The Great Divorce, which, which is not about how divorce is great, by the way. And for those who are familiar with the book, it's not even suggesting that there's such a thing as purgatory either. But, but anyways, there's this scene in the book that powerfully illustrates how liberating it is to have our secret sins put to death and, and how we become our true selves, not oppressed selves, when we obey God. And uh, Ray Ortland actually mentions this story as well in the book we mentioned in episode 116, The Death of Porn. And because I'm lazy, I'm going to rely on his retelling of the story in a number of places here. But there's this man and he has one particular sin, lust. And it's a little, it's represented as this little red lizard sitting on his shoulder who's always whispering and, you know, chattering away. And the guy's kind of embarrassed about it, to be honest. But he encounters an angel and um, he's trying to shush the lizard up and and the angel says, would you like me to make him quiet? Do you want me to make the lizard quiet? Of course I would, the man answers honestly. Then I will kill him, says the angel. And he steps right forward, ready to act immediately. And the man freaks out. He falls back with, with a howl of fright. He isn't ready for anything as drastic as killing his little darling red lizard. And, and so what plays out for the next few minutes is, is this man giving excuse after excuse while the angel keeps offering to kill this, this lizard. Don't you want him dead? The angel presses him. Well, uh, it's the only way, the angel explains. Really? Says the man. I, I, I'm not so sure. May I kill it? The angel asks him again and again. But the man can't believe he needs such an extreme remedy. He wants his little pet to be quiet and tame, but not dead. And yet the angel keeps insisting, this is the only way, so, so may I kill it? And the man gets angry, he gets defensive, his feelings are hurt. Uh, he feels the angel is making fun of him and trying to pressure him. Not at all, the angel says, I cannot kill it against your will, but it can be over with one bone-crushing decision. Okay then, the man finally gives in and agrees. Go on, do what you like, just get it over with. And with a sudden twist of his mighty hands, the angel squeezes the breath out of the filthy lizard, flinging its lifeless body to the ground. The man reels, screaming and angry. All becomes still. Is that the end of it? Both of them dead? No. Suddenly, that very man who'd been weak and whining stands boldly to his feet. A new man, noble, formidable, chiseled with strength, radiant with glory. And the lizard? Far from dying, it too rises into something new. A white stallion rippling with flesh and muscle, shaking its golden mane, greeting the new man as his mighty servant. More swiftly than the storyteller can explain, man and horse head off at a full gallop. Cool story, and the point you're making, and I guess Lewis was making it too, is the transformation that happens. When the man's lustful desires are put to death, he changes from being a weak, pathetic man to a noble wonder of a man and the little lizard goes from being this embarrassment in his life to becoming a glorious stallion yeah so which version of the man is his true self what was he created to be like when when he allowed his sin to be put to death he and his sexual appetite were set free from the humiliating distortions of sin to become free gloriously free he became his true self now he was someone inspiring to look at and God created us to be glorious, free image bearers of Him. Obedience is not oppressive, it's liberating. And so let me just close.
close here with with the quote from Ortland. He says he says whatever the spirit kills in you, he also raises to newness of life better than before. He isn't asking you to lose your sexuality. He's asking you to gain your true sexuality. The lust you hesitate to part with is a lizard-like, bizarre, wannabe sexuality. A little souvenir from fantasy land that lies to you and keeps you locked in shame. But putting it to death by the Holy Spirit's life-giving power means the real thrill can be yours. The uplifting thrill of recentering your life around planning noble things, standing for noble things, starting with your sexuality. Jesus died and rose again to give you nothing less than a magnificent new you. Amen. Good words. Thank you, Mike. And Mike's going to give us one more episode in this little mini-series of Obedience versus Sin. That will be in episode 120. And we hope you'll tune back for that. And tune in again next week as we provide another Good News for You episode. We love to have you with us. We appreciate your feedback. May the Lord bless you all.